Deacon Juan for reading the gospel. Unfortunately, he read the short form, and my homily is on the long form of the gospel. So let me, uh, let me finish reading it. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He then said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon Peter answered him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed that Jesus said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Amen, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to dress yourself and go where you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said to him, follow me. I find this passage, this, this passage whenever, where Jesus says, when you were younger, you used to dress yourself and go where you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where, to where you do not want to go. A passage that is packed with wisdom. What he's basically saying is whenever you're young, you can pretty much do whatever you want. You can whatever, wear whatever clothes you want and you can kind of pretty much follow your will and do... Whatever, whatever your heart desires. You're not really bound to anything. You're not really tied to anything. So it's all up to you. Then he goes on to say that whenever you're old, you can't just do whatever you want. You can't just wear whatever you want. And you can't just follow your own will. You're going to stretch out your hands and somebody else will dress you. And something you will lead you where you do not want to go. And what will happen, this will result in your death. A death to glorify God. Now, this passage really can be applied in three different ways. The first way this passage can be applied is simple. This is the literal translation, Peter's martyrdom. So whenever you see or hear about Peter stretching out his arms and somebody else dressing him and taking him where he doesn't want to go, that's a symbol of, G, of Peter being crucified upside down in the Circus Nero around the year 65, a place where the Vatican is now built, a place that really, because of the Vatican, because of the Basilica of St. Peter, actually truly does glorify God biggest church in the world. But the second way this passage can be applied, and it's a way that I first heard about this passage, is how priesthood works. Before you were a pre, before you go to seminary, you could pretty much do whatever we want. We're, we're kind of at our own will, but whenever we enter in the, into the priesthood and whenever we, be, we, we get ordained, we lay down on the floor and our life is now the life of the bishops. Whatever the bishop wants to do, wherever the bishop wants to send us, that's where we're going. What the bishop tells us to wear, that's what we're wearing our life is given over to the bishop in the form of obedience. Why? Because we love him and because he asks us to tend to his sheep. But I would dare say there's a third application for this passage. One that I think really speaks to the modern man. And I think it's something that we all need to hear. And that is to apply this passage to the sacrament of marriage. And I think you can apply it to the sacrament of marriage yet again in three ways. First, whenever we're young, we don't generally get married. Like I said, do whatever we want, whenever we want, and wear whatever we want. Single, single guys around here take that very seriously. Wear whatever we want. The older, once we get older, the second way is, is that's whenever we, marriage usually happens, as we grow older. And 
You can ask my dad, and whenever you get married, you can't wear whatever you want. Poor guy hasn't picked out an outfit in 35 years. And I mean, this is just how it is. You, you, are, you are stricken by basically what, what your wife tells you, which is probably generally a good thing. Ladies tend to see color better than we do, and, and I respect that. But also, you can't exactly go wherever you want either. Marriage is full of a lot of little, almost for, to us, very like small things. Little tiny acts of love that can be very, very tedious. We're bringing kids to to pediatricians, changing diapers, staying up, staying up with, with, with crying babies in the middle of the night, paying for tuition, paying for car insurance, paying for diapers, paying for all this stuff. These little things that you and I would never, ever dream about really doing. Nobody sits and, man, I cannot wait to get married to change that first diaper. Oh, it's going to be so awesome. My gosh, there's going to be stuff everywhere. It's going to smell. It's just going to be incredible. Nobody says that. And if you do that, well, you're special, all right? But think, there's no, there's no real reason for that, and yet, that's pretty. That's one of the key aspects of marriage. It's one of, it's one of the things that we, that we, that that's just part of it, and and that's why I think that this passage really hits home on marriage because of the third way, because of the third point it makes. Marriage is a death, and it's a death that glorifies God, exactly like a martyrdom is a death. Exactly like a pre, the priesthood is a death, so too is marriage. It requires the man, it requires the woman to lay down their lives, and to die to their self-will, and become obedient to one another. And, come, and give one another completely and totally to each other and to the Lord. And yet, even though that marriage is a death, it's important to remember that marriage is a death that is meant to glorify God. It's a death that's meant to glorify God, and it glorifies God in three ways. The first way marriage glorifies God is it's the primordial vocation. Every single one of us in this church, including myself, is called to marriage. We're all called to it. Whenever God made Adam and Eve, it was the first command he gave them. He said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. He made them in marriage. They were meant to be married. They they were cleaved together. They were two. The man left his his mother and his father, become one flesh. They were they were embodiment of marriage. And basically, what he's showing us, what the Lord is showing us by our natural by our natural biology, not necessarily a spirituality. You and I are called to marriage. It's called the natural vocation, the primordial vocation. It's a vocation that even priests and nuns are called to. But the fact of the matter is, is that priests and nuns are actually called not to necessarily engage in the good natural form of their vocation, but to engage in a supernatural vocation, to to build off of the natural vocation of marriage and do the supernatural vocation of consecrating their lives to God and living celibately. It takes a great grace to do this. But marriage, point being, is a natural vocation that we're all called to. First thing, first way to glorify God. The second way is this. Marriage, hands down, is one of the best ways to evangelize and spread the faith. Why? Because the best way to make new Catholics is to literally make new Catholics. And guess where you can do that? I'm not going to go any further. (laughs) But literally, that's how we make new Catholics. And yet... The reason why I bring this up is because we have not been that good at doing it. 
Our birth rate has plummeted over the past 40 years to the point where it's, it's, it's at a 40-year low. It's at a roughly 1.75 births per woman, and it's not getting any higher. And what that means is that's going to have catastrophic effects on the church in the future. And this is what that basically means, is that less and less people will be able to be going to Catholic schools, which means Catholic schools will be closing down, and less and less people will be going to church, which means we'll watch churches close down. I saw this effect a little bit in working with the missionaries at Charity. I asked them, I said, sisters, where, where are all the young nuns? I thought y'all's, y'all's, y'all's order was thriving. And they told me, they said, in the 80s, our order was. But something happened. Western, Western culture got the best of our families. So if you looked at Catholic families in the 80s, whenever the missionaries of Shady were booming, they were having six, seven, eight kids to the point where it was normal for a Catholic family to, to, to have three or four nuns in the family or it was normal for a neighborhood to have six or seven nuns go into the convent. Perfectly normal. But because of a Western materialism seeped into their culture, they began to realize that ah, maybe six or seven kids isn't going to be that good for the kid. We want them to send them to expensive schools. We want them to be able to get them a driver's license. We want them to get them a car. Maybe we should have more like two or three kids. And because of that, the pressure, the freedom to go and enter consecrated life just wasn't there. The parents didn't really want them to go and leave and just, just go and give their life to the Lord. They'd rather them stay, get married, and give them grandchildren. And so it, it, it really does have a deep effect on our vocations, on the number of Catholics, and especially on our Catholic schools. My point being in this regard, get married and have a bunch of babies. All right, moving on. The third one is marriage is fulfilling. Now, this is a weird point. It's something that I don't think a lot of us really, really can often, often understand is that marriage is, a, is fulfilling. But I will say this. The reason why marriage is fulfilling is not because it's easy. But because it's hard. It's not because it's easy, because it's hard. It's the reason why traveling to the moon was such an accomplishment. Not because it's easy, because it's hard. It's a reason why my anniversary date for my priesthood is such a big deal for me. Not because it was easy, but because it was hard to get here. And it's a reason why the wedding anniversaries are so precious and so valuable. Not because it was easy, because it's hard to be married. Marriage is the union of two, in the words of G.K. Chesterton, two obstinate pieces of iron. One, on the one hand, you have a man. And a man is a very selfish, selfish beast by the standards of any and every woman that, that analyzes that man. And a woman, in the eyes of a man, is a cross because she's so sensitive to so much that he can never comprehend that sensitivity. So there's constantly a tension there, which means the only way to fuse them together is through the red-hot iron, the red-hot furnace of romantic love. And only whenever they're really welded together do they ever have a shot of staying together. But you can see the tension that would cause and the tension that would come about because of this marriage. And yet, at the same time, it's how, we're gonna, it's how we continue as a human race. And at the same time, it's how we can be fulfilled. And here's why I say that. Marriage is one of those things that, and once again, G.K. Chesterton, he, he loves speaking about marriage so honestly, is a duel to the death. But it's a duel that every man must endure. That no man should ever refuse. Because if you don't get married, and you don't consecrate your life to God, then all you have at the end of the day, at the end of your life, is yourself. 
yourself, yourself, yourself. The one companion that is never satisfied and the one companion that is never satisfactory. Yourself. And yet, that, that logic, that reason goes completely counter to the gospel of the world. The world looks at, at all of you, you young people, and say, you're living the dream. You're living life at its finest. You can chill out on the couch all day long and watch Netflix. You can spend all your time on Instagram, all your time on Facebook. You have no responsibilities, no duties. You have it made. And yet the fact of the matter is, is this, this kind of isolation is a pure recipe for misery. It's a recipe for misery because what does it leave us? It leaves us just by ourselves. Ourself, 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 our lonely selves. And that's why these words that Jesus utters is just so important. To remember that we're not called to be young forever. We're not called to simply dress ourselves and do whatever we want all the time. But we're called to be disciplined. We're called to be like Christ. And we're called to grow old and to die to ourselves and to die to somebody else. And allow somebody else to dress us. Allow somebody else to take us where we go. And for many of us, that vocation will look like marriage. And if we can really do that, if we can have holy marriages, if we can mature, discipline ourselves, and give ourselves to others, then truly our marriages and our lives will glorify God. Amen.